0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit amen my Lord and my God I firmly believe that you are here that you see me and that you hear me I adore you with profound reverence I ask your pardon for my sins for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful my Immaculate Mother St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. As we begin this time of prayer, we remind ourselves that prayer is always fruitful, that prayer might seem pointless at times, or useless. It might seem like action is much more called for or would be more worth putting our time into. But as as believers, we believe that God is all-powerful and that God is real and that God cares and that our contact with God, our prayer life, straightens us out first. It makes us capable of acting in a way that will, in the end, be more fruitful. It makes us capable of doing things in a way that is more effective. And so even though it might seem in the eyes of the world that sitting for half an hour in prayer, reflecting on the gospel, reflecting on our Lord, or our Lady, as we'll do today, it might seem like, well, that's a waste of time. What's that going to do? What's that going to get done? In reality, it's a prerequisite. It's an important condition for all truly fruitful work in the world. Our connection with God, our love for God, the purification of our hearts and minds and wills, in prayer, through contemplation. And today we'll do something that is actually always very beneficial, both for ourselves and for the world, which is to pray about Our Lady, to pray about Mary, the Mother of God, and our Mother. The Church and and the Church of Saints have always had the sense that when we're in trouble the best thing to do is to run to Our Lady. And as we live through these times of trouble, these times in these days of great social unrest, times of violence in our cities, times of the unveiling of some injustice, and people are tense and worried, times also (laughs) still of the coronavirus and the, difficulties of the pandemic well we're going through troubled times and so let's be like the saints let's let's take this tradition of the church and live it in our time to run to our lady to fly to her protection as the memorari says and dare her not to help us right that memorari was composed by saint bernard and it's a beautiful prayer because it's kind of like daring mary Not to help us. Never was it known, we pray in the Memorari. never was it known that anyone, anyone who fled to your protection, sought your help, implored your intercession, was left unaided. Never was it known that you would leave anyone without some help, without some favor, without some grace, at least without some strength to persevere in what they have to undergo. The same Saint Bernard has this wonderful invocation to Mary in a homily of his. He says, In danger, in distress, in uncertainty, think of Mary. Call upon Mary. She never leaves your lips, she never departs from your heart. And so that you may obtain the help of her prayers, never forget the example of her life. If you follow her, you cannot falter. If you pray to her, you cannot despair. If you think of her, you cannot err. If she sustains you, you will not stumble. If she protects you, you have nothing to fear. If she guides you, you will never flag. If she is favorable to you, you will attain your goal. And so in today's meditation, we can do this. Let's think of Mary. Let's remember the example of her life. Let's go to her. Let's ask for her protection so we have nothing to fear so that we will not flag in our in our Christian vocation. And there's a, a scene in the Gospel that I thought would be particularly good for us to pray about. A little bit because it got short shrift this year. May 31st is usually the Feast of the Visitation. The feast where we commemorate Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth right after the annunciation and in that in that scene which you know again is usually celebrated on um May 31st what happened this year this year it fell on pentecost sunday and so we um so we um skipped or had the Feast of the Visitation suppressed, as they say. Um, but it's a wonderful scene to remember. A, it teaches us so much. This is what we read in the Gospel. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And so the scene, as we know, it takes place Right after the Annunciation. So right after Our Lady discovers her vocation to be the Mother of the Messiah. Right after Our Lady accepts this wonderful vocation and this huge responsibility. To be the Mother of the One who will be called Son of the Most High. Whose Father is God. What does she do? She goes to help someone else. And I've always found this um, instructive, that Our Lady, in spite of being with child for the first time, in spite of having this huge responsibility put on her, she doesn't sit around for days and worry about herself. She's not consumed by the question of, what's going to happen to me? And we can think of all that's going through her head, right? I've never been pregnant, pregnant before. How's this going to go? How will Joseph react? Right? How's that going to play out? She had a million questions, a million concerns. And yet, in spite of all this, her instinct, her first reaction, is to go to help Elizabeth with her pregnancy. To go to help her older cousin with her problems. And so we see this wonderful example of Mary's spirit of service, of Mary's practical charity. Elizabeth needs my help. And so the Gospel says she goes with haste. In the same days, not a lot of time passed. She got ready and she left. And if we were critical souls, and many of us are many times, you know, we might look at this from the outside and say, well, maybe this is irresponsible. Maybe she should be more worried about herself, about what's going to happen to her, about how to take care of her own problems. But if we look with faith, what do we see here? We see... In addition to Our Lady's spirit of service, we see her trust in God. She has this sense, God has my back. This is His plan. And so I'm not going to sit and worry about it. I'm going to go out and do some good right now. And where does this trust come from? Why is Mary so unconcerned? Well, it comes from what theology and the spiritual tradition calls Divine filiation. Mary has a sense that she is God's daughter. Knowing that God is her father, she knows that God is in charge. And this frees her not to worry about herself. And so there's always this connection between trust and charity, trust and service to others. The more we trust God with our own problems, the more we trust God with our own situation, the more we're free to see and worry and care about and do something about the problems of others. And so Our Lady can go with haste, not worrying about herself, to help her cousin. St. Josemaria writes in, in his book, The Furrow, turn your eyes toward the Blessed Virgin and see how she practices the virtue of loyalty. When Elizabeth needs her, the Gospel says that she went, Cum festinatione. Quickly. Joyfully making haste. Learn from her. And it's very beautiful to see that the first result of the presence of Christ within her, the first result, the first practical result of the presence of Christ in her womb is this instinct to serve. And how could it be in any other way? You, Lord... Tell us, I am among you as one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. Christ is in your soul and my soul, just as He was in physically in Our Lady's womb. It's a different kind of presence, of course, but He's with us. I am among you as one who serves. And so one of the things that our Lord wants to do in your soul and my soul is to make us live the spirit of service. Let's put ourselves into this scene. Maybe we can imagine that we're another cousin in the family, perhaps from Zechariah's side of the family, and so we're not too familiar with Our Lady. And we're there spending some time, perhaps on a summer break, and we're staying with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And at this moment, we happen to be standing by the gate in... The courtyard of the house and Mary arrives and we see the gate opening and we see her opening it we rush over to help her and in that moment she looks at us and she smiles the smile of the Blessed Virgin Mary the smile of our mother this is what mothers do when they look at their little children They smile, trying to invoke the smile of the child. Before we can say anything, we're kind of struck by her holiness, her purity, her beauty, which shines through her face. Elizabeth enters the courtyard and Mary greets her. And we're close and we can hear their exchange. We can see the smiles in their faces as they talk and embrace each other. You can see the tears of joy and love welling up in their eyes. And joy and tears are contagious. And so we too are of good heart. We we are filled with joy at seeing this encounter. And perhaps we too begin to tear up a little bit, seeing how moved they are. And we listen to their conversation because it happens For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. These wonderful compliments that Elizabeth pays Mary. And this wonderful humility and gratitude that Elizabeth has for Our Lady's visit. Why should the mother of my Lord come to me. And we too, Lord, we too, my lady, should be filled with gratitude and humility at the presence of Mary in our lives, at this constant help that we have from her intercession, her readiness to help us, the constant ability we have to go to her, to fly to her with our problems, to hide in the folds of her dress, in the folds of her cloak. And Elizabeth here, as we just read, as we just heard, being in the scene, pays pays Mary two compliments. The first is, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And this compliment, of course, is very specific to Mary. Only Mary is blessed in this particular way. Only she is the mother of Jesus Christ, God and man. Only she is the mother of God. The humanity of Jesus is only the fruit of her womb. And that first compliment, though, is kind of based on the second compliment that Elizabeth gives to Mary. She says, Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And if we compare these two compliments in our prayer, we realize that the first one is much more famous. In today's lingo, we could say that the first compliment is the one that went viral. Hundreds of thousands of times a day, perhaps millions of times a day, this prayer, this compliment is repeated every time anyone prays the Hail Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The second compliment is less famous, but it's just as important, and perhaps even more important. Because the second one, if we think about it, makes the first one possible. Mary is the mother of God precisely because she believed, she trusted God's plan for her. She believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled, that she would become the mother of our Lord and yet remain a virgin. And this is Mary's greatness. Mary is so great now and so famous now because she believed in God's plan for her and she said yes to it. And what's very interesting about the second compliment is that this is something that we can all imitate and strive for. St. Bernard told us in in that sermon that we alluded to at the beginning of this meditation, keep before your eyes the example of her life. But we can't imitate Our Lady by becoming physically pregnant with our Lord. That's her special privilege. But we can all imitate her in trusting in God's plan for our life. We can all imitate her in believing in God's word for our life, his plan for our life. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, increase my trust. Lord, that I may see, that I may see your plan for me. And trust is, is, trust is interesting. Trust has two sides. And the two sides of trust are distinct, but they're complementary. On the one hand, the one side of trust is comforting. Right? If we trust God, we have this wonderful sense that no matter what happens, He is going to take care of me. Trust is knowing that I can abandon myself in God, that God is all-powerful, and God is good, and God loves me as a father. Trust is the realization that whatever may happen to me, I will be okay. Even if I have to die. Even if if I have to suffer a lot before I die. I will be okay. Because God is good and God is my Father. And that's very comforting thoughts, very consoling. This trusting God, this comforting side, gives us that healthy sense of saying, whatever. Whatever. I know some teenagers who are so Cool and lazy. That instead of saying whatever they used to say, whatevs, <laughs> they cut out the ever. They'd say whatevs, and so there's this wonderful sense that, that we can handle anything. I can do all things in Him who strengthens me, says Saint Paul. So that's one side of trust. The other side of trust is more challenging. In Sacred Scripture, God says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts." neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways above yours. And so to trust God is to take a risk. To trust Him is to let Him have control. To trust Him has this difficult side of letting Him really take the lead and changing ourselves in the way that we need to be changed, working on our sinfulness, working on our selfishness, working on our self-centeredness. And to do this is something daring and exciting, at times frightening. This is the difficult side of trust, to grow in the ways that we know deep down that God is asking us to grow, that he's trying to help us grow in. And the tricky thing about trust is that we really can't have one without the other, We won't experience how much He cares for us if we don't really trust Him. And we can't really trust Him without risking letting Him be in charge, letting Him make changes. We won't know that comforting side. We won't know the wonder of God's love for us, of His care for us, if we don't let Him challenge us and stretch us and invite us to be great. It's kind of like A little boy who is is learning to swim and his father's in the pool and and he's inviting the son to jump in trust me I'll catch you it'll be okay and the boy's afraid of the jump and he's afraid of the water but eventually he makes this act, act of trust in his father and he jumps and his father catches him and it's okay They were there together in the water. And the strength of his father and the knowledge of his father is going to teach him how to do something new. Something new and difficult, but that's great to know. How to swim. But in order to, to do that, in order to do that, he has to first trust the father. He has to jump in. And unless he jumps in, he doesn't know just how trustworthy his father is, just how powerful his father is, just how capable his father is of helping him to learn this new skill. And so this is, this is our life with, with you, Lord. This is our life with you, Jesus, and with God the Father, and with our Lady. Right? We have to take a risk. We have to let ourselves be challenged by the life that God wants me to live. Lord, don't let me settle for a self-centered life. Don't let me settle for searching for an easy life, which is always just out of our grasp, because God doesn't let our easy life be easy. Turns out to be empty, turns out to be sad. We should force God to take care of us by living a daring life with him. We should force God to help us by living a wonderfully generous life in service to him and others. But right? if we act like saints, fake it until you make it. Remember a great line. <laughs> fake it until you make it. If we act like saints, we kind of force God to give us the grace to be saints. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. Jesus himself weighs in on these two compliments. And he ends up saying that the second one is more important than the first. It's more important that Our Lady trusted God than that she physically carried Jesus in her womb. We see this in a passage in the Gospel. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are you who believed. And so this woman is saying, Blessed is the womb, right? Blessed is the the physical body of the person who carried you. And Jesus says, No, more important is, hear the word of God and obey it. And this is what Our Lady did. And this is why she carried our Lord in her womb, because that that was his plan for her. There's a similar passage where Jesus says that hearing God's word and obeying it are precisely conditions for our own kinship with Christ, our own relationship to him. While he was speaking to the crowds, we read in the gospel, his mother and his brothers were standing outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister, and mother. And commenting on this passage, St. Augustine says, it's greater for Mary to have been a disciple of Christ than to have been the mother of Christ. It means more for her, St. Augustine says. It means more for her, an altogether greater blessing, to have been Christ's disciple than to have been Christ's mother. That is why Mary was blessed. Because even before she gave him birth, she bore her teacher in her womb. And so Mary's motherhood comes from her discipleship. It's because she has this attitude of docility, this openness to God's will, this openness to change her plans, this openness to to change her whole life, to do God's will, that she becomes the mother of God. And our Lord's words are so mysterious, our Lord basically says, if we do the same thing, even we become the mother of God. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What a a mystery. How do we become the mother of Christ? Augustine has an answer, as usual. (laughs) Wonderful theologian. Augustine says, We become the mother of Christ by giving birth to new members of the church. By giving birth to new members of the church, we give birth to the body of Christ, because the church is the body of Christ. And how do we do this? He says, by bringing others to the faith, especially by bringing others to baptism. To bring someone to baptism is to give birth to Christ. What a wonderful thing, the dignity of the vocation of Christian marriage Christian family. To bring a child, an infant, to baptism is to become the mother of Christ, is to give birth to the church. And what a great joy also to evangelize non Catholics and non Christians, to be able to bring some people during our life to baptism. In this way, we give birth to members of the body of Christ, we become his mother. Elizabeth Anscombe, a famous 20th century philosopher. She was a professor at the University of Cambridge. She was Catholic. She had a big family. She had seven children with her husband. And she famously defended Humanivite, the Church's teaching that contraception in marriage is immoral. And she had some rebellious <laughs> she had some rebellious students, and one day she walked into her, her classroom to give a lecture and she saw written on the on the um, chalkboard, Professor Anscombe is a breeder. A kind of swipe at, at her at, at her position on contraception and at her own um, generosity in having so many children. And without missing a beat, she walked up to the board and took a piece of chalk and added to the sentence, Of eternal souls. And so the sentence ended up reading, Professor Anscombe is a breeder of eternal souls. And St. Augustine would have added, Of Christ, of the church. To bring a child into the world, to baptize him, her. To bring people to the faith, the baptism, is to give birth to the church and is to be like the mother of God. We go to Our Lady and we ask her, give us sensitivity to God's will. Give us sensitivity to Christ's presence. Christ's presence in you led you to serve Elizabeth. Christ's presence in you led John the Baptist to leap in Elizabeth's womb to be sanctified in her womb because of his reaction to your presence, Lord. And that filled Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. And so like St. John the Baptist, who was just an you know, unborn child, but he had some sort of spiritual radar, spiritual sonar, we could say, right in that amniotic fluid there in, in Elizabeth's womb, he could sense the presence of Christ. Lord, give me this same sensitivity to your presence, your presence in the Blessed Sacrament, your presence in my heart, especially your presence in others, where you can be most hidden. Truly, I tell you, our Lord says, just as you did it to one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it to me. What you do for the least of these, my brethren, you do for me. We go to Our Lady, Mary, our mother, just as you let Christ's presence in you change you, move you to serve Elizabeth, just as his presence in you was picked up by John the Baptist, was picked up by Elizabeth, by grace of the Holy Spirit, help me too to turn my life into a life of Christian service to others and a life of sensitivity to your presence and above all, trust in your will. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them to effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.